0: coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat.
1: When I was 17, my best friend took his own life. Didn't know he was struggling, had never really heard the term mental health referenced in any part of my life. After my best friend died, I went through my own struggle with pretty severe depression for years. So I started going to therapy at the age of 20. And once I kind of came out of that first bout of six months and I was in a better place, I just kind of had this burning urge to prevent as many suicides as possible. One, because people shouldn't feel like they're so alone that no one's there for them. But two, bereaving suicide is one of the most traumatic things I've ever had to go through. And if you can prevent suicide, it means you also prevent people having to bereave suicide. That's why mental health became really important to me. It's just to prevent suicide and prevent people feeling like they're alone. Hi, my name is Derek Fleming. I'm an author, poet, and mental health activist. Uh, I have a new book on mental health called Lonely Boy coming out November 24th with Book Hub Publishing. Uh, if you want to find more details about what I do, you can visit thoughts 2 bige This is my episode with Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat.
2: Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance, What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high-performing individuals tick, why they do what they do, and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons, and learnings. Today we spoke with Dara Fleming, writer and award-winning mental health activist. Dara Fleming is an author, freelance writer, and award-winning mental health blogger from Cork, Ireland. He is an MA in linguistics and a BA in applied psychology, but also a head full of notions, as he says. Dara has a passion for normalizing the chat around mental health and is the founder of Thoughts Too Big, a blog and enterprise that focuses on overcoming daily mental health issues. Dara's debut in non-fiction, Lonely Boy, a collection of essays on mental health arrives November 24th. Please support this work by buying a copy. Dara shared with us his traumatic personal story about why mental health is what he writes and speaks about, and also why that period paved the way for him to study the mind in university. He explained his current writer-in-residence role in Spain, and also what his writing process looks like. We unpacked where he finds inspiration for poetry, fiction, and non-fiction, what trains had to do with writing, some of his most popular blogs on mental health, and his charitable support for Pieta House, Crisis Helpline, and so forth. He explained the meaning behind his motto, Be Sound and Drink Water, and how to recognise if someone is struggling with their mental health. This was a powerful episode for us. Thanks, Dara.
0: Dara Fleming, welcome to the show, sir. You're in sunny Spain, we're in Dublin. We are jealous.
1: <laughs> Thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, um, as we kind of talked about beforehand in Olot about two hours north of Barcelona on a writer's residency. So, um, yeah, really grateful to be here and grateful to be on the podcast too. I really appreciate it. Of course.
2: And, and you were saying to us off air there, and it's really interesting, we're writer residency. For those listening, what's that all about? What does it mean?
1: um so essentially um i applied for this in january and forgot about it and then in july they got back to me and they're like we'd like to grant you a place so what it means is they give you a kind of apartment to stay in they take care of all your meals and it just gives you the space and time to work on whatever project you want to work on so here at the moment there's three other writers from different parts of europe and there's one um concert pianist um And all of us are just working on whatever we feel like working on. I'm working on a new book, um, obviously the penis is working on new music. So it just gives you, it cuts out like a week of time where you can actually just do hyper focused work on, on different things because, you know, when you're back at home with a busy schedule and different things going on, it's kind of hard to find that time. So this just gives you that opportunity.
0: I think for a lot of not only creatives, but a lot of people now, it sounds like an absolute dream to get that space, to get that week where you can focus on hyper-focus, like what we'd speak with Cal Newport about.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If you're talking about getting to that point, give us an idea of your background. Where did you come from? What studies did you do in order to get to a point where you're getting off to Spain to do hyper-focus work? And we're all gelatoids in
1: Spain. And <laughs> we want to go. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, like my career to date has been unplanned like i always tell people i've never had a plan of just kind of followed my gut and follow my passion uh, i think that's kind of the most effective way to get where you want to be going especially if you don't know where you want to be going but uh, for me so i did uh, my undergraduate undergraduate degree in applied psychology in cork then i did a master's in linguistics in uh, ucd in dublin and it was kind of during that time in my masters where i started taking writing seriously. So I had been doing the blog Taughts Too Big since 2015. And then in 2017, 2018, I started writing short fiction during my master's. And I got to a point in my master's where I had more written on a manuscript for a book than I did for my thesis. So I was like, okay, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing here. Um, so that's when I kind of like started focusing in on writing after the master's, um, got the first collection of short stories published in 2019 and then from there it's just kind of it's just become the thing I want to do it kind of I suppose awoken in me like oh This is the thing that makes kind of You know makes the most sense for me in terms of a pursuit because I was always the type of person who like Was jealous of people who knew exactly what they wanted to do like my brother knew exactly what he wanted to be A lot of my friends did and I was kind of like I have no idea uh, So then writing kind of famed me and From there I've uh, been writing in kind of mental health circles with a lust for life i work for them now uh, a lust for life charity um and just writing in the blog the blog eventually won some awards for being a mental health space and now i have a book on mental health called lonely boy coming out on november twenty-fourth with a book of publishing Uh, so it's kind of like it's it's a bit of an unsatisfying answer when people ask me like how do you get to that place because i don't really know like I just kind of did what felt right for me and things I was lucky enough to to just find opportunities and take them and I like whenever I do workshops now like the Irish writer center or something I um I always start by saying I'm a a professional bluffer meaning that like I just chance my arm uh see like the worst thing the only thing people can say is no so and rejection is quite a big part of writing so I've kind of gotten used to being rejected a lot and You know, if you you ask, sometimes people say yes, and that's when you get the opportunities, you know? Like that.
2: What does your writing process look like? I mean, we're really curious, and we've read a lot of your online blogs, and Mm -hmm. there's always something behind them. There's so much meaning behind it. But how do you, what does it look like when you're there now in Spain and you're sitting down for a day? What do you do to get into that headspace? And what's a good day for you? What does success look like in that day?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's like so a lot a lot of my like morning routine has nothing to do with the writing process, but I guess it's all linked. So I do a lot of meditating in the morning. I'll read something Uh, like I, I think that those two things for me are kind of non-negotiable in the morning because it kind of gets you in the right headspace of being in tune with how you're feeling. And especially when you're writing about mental health, that's really important because with the blog, like essentially the blog, the reason it has the, the legs it's had because it's been going on for seven years is because for the blog posts, I reflect on what kind of affected my mental health during the previous week. And then I delve into that. And often enough people can resonate with that because it's just kind of a daily mental health battle. It's not necessarily like mental illness or so might be just like anxiety over work or anxiety over relationships or, you know, having a bad day. And it just kind of tapping into your own, your own experiences can drive a lot of creative spark. So even like when I'm, I'm writing short stories, like a lot of my own experiences will influence what I'm writing about. So it it is a lot. Of, I think as my career has gone on in writing, it's be, I've become aware that the better I know myself, the easier it is to write about things that resonate with people. Because when you know yourself better, you're just more authentic Um, it doesn't become just kind of superficial. I'm only writing to write it. It's more of a I'm writing because I really want to delve into certain issues that like are minor right now but could become bigger issues if they're not um, looked at and inspected and so the, the writing process is a lot of self self-reflection initially and then depending on what i'm writing be it like poetry or fiction obviously it changes because you have to you know create more raw with fiction it can't be based on your life it has to be very like raw new stuff but it is still all influenced by day-to-day life
0: there's a lot I want to touch on there, but I'll go back firstly to the meditation. Just give us an idea of your practice. What do you do? Do you use an app? Is it timed? Are you just sitting there doing body scans? What do you use?
1: Um, I When I started, I started meditating when I was 20 and I used Headspace because they that was guided meditations, body scans. And especially when you're new to meditation, it could be quite difficult to know what to do because essentially you're just supposed to sit there and not think, which is one of the hardest things to do. So, uh, But that kind of, over the last few years i've been just doing solo meditating um just concentrate on breathing i also would recommend uh transcendental meditation and that's the kind of the classic one where you someone's humming in the background and it just cuz all you really need is something to focus on so that it means your your brain's less inclined to um to get distracted but i think and i was only talking about this recently with a few uh young people in a workshop here in spain um I think people have this idea of meditation that you're not allowed to think and that if you are thinking that you're doing it wrong, but it's actually, you're always going to think like, it's impossible to stop yourself from thinking, but it's just becoming aware of the fact that you've started thinking automatically and then drawing yourself back to to your breath or your, your transcendental kind of hum, whatever it is. Um, and I do that anywhere between 10 to 20 minutes in the morning. Wow. Um, and that just kind of sets you up. I think it's really important for, as I said, getting grounded, Uh, figuring out how you're feeling in your body at the beginning of the day I think is really important because often when I don't meditate I mightn't even be aware that I might be feeling like anxious or stressed but if I meditate I'm like okay I'm feeling a little bit more anxious than I was yesterday and that allows me to be proactive and maybe you know exercise earlier in the day than I would have if I didn't know
0: yeah it's definitely interesting I think with meditation we often think oh yeah when I do I'm meant to feel something I'm meant to be much better Mm -hmm. meant to be focused but we are we're not very sure about the outcomes until we've done a process of it and then we notice things like i'm aware of my anxiety more so now and that must be a result of the meditation i think so my my point here is just if anyone's trying if anyone's doing it don't be expecting outcomes straight away that you're aware of you might come down the line a few weeks or a few days and just think i feel a bit more relaxed or i actually i respond better to my significant other given out to me a little bit i was more relaxed i was more calm i was more accepting of my mistakes
1: exactly 100 yeah, and even like before that i think um it it gives you because you know we're in an era where everyone has their phones on them all the time and there's a lot of input it gives you a little bit of the day where you can just be very present and only focusing on what's happening right now because for the rest of the day you might be like emails deadlines i have to get this done so it just gives you that moment to just be still and that's why like if you can i mean in ireland it's quite difficult but if you can be outside when you're meditating i think that adds another layer of kind of just being in the moment
2: yeah
0: there was a nice uh, one on headspace uh, the other day I've, I've only started getting back into it again um, and he said don't think of this as a chore that you have to do your meditation now think of it as this is 10 minutes of your time that you get to spend just relaxing you just yeah. get to sit there you just get to observe thoughts as they go and it's a good frame to look at it instead of thinking, I'll do this meditation now. Oh, a little bit of resistance towards it. It's just, this is your time.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's great. 100%. Yeah.
2: So why mental health, Dara? Like, obviously, you've won awards and there's a book coming and blogging for a long time. What mm-hmm. is it about that space?
1: Um, well, it, it is a very personal story, which is one I'm happy to share. Um when I was 17, my best friend took his own life, uh, and he, he was 18 at the time, and didn't know anything about it, uh, didn't know he was struggling, had never really heard the term mental health referenced in any part of my life. It didn't really come up in school, it wasn't really in the kind of mainstream media, uh, which is completely different now, like 10 years later, I mean, everyone's talking about it and it's far more accepting a place. So my introduction to mental health was quite, quite a tragic one, quite a damaging one, you know, after. My best friend died. I went through my own kind of struggle with pretty severe depression for years. And one once I came out of that, like, so I started going to therapy uh, at the age of twenty. And once I kind of came out of that first bit of therapy after six months, and I was in a better place, I just kind of had this burning urge to, I, I guess, like the 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 very rudimental thing about the me, me and mental health is I just want to prevent as many suicides as possible. One, because, you know, people shouldn't feel like they're so alone that no one's there for them. But two, bereaving suicide is one of the most traumatic things I've ever had to go through. And if you can prevent suicide, it means you also prevent people having to bereave suicide. So that's kind of the the genesis of why mental health became important to me. Uh, And why it always will be is because Irby, you know, passed when he he needn't have if if we had talked openly and made mental health a normal conversation, then maybe he could have come up to me or come up to a parent or a teacher and been like, hey, look, I'm struggling, I need help. But he, he felt like he couldn't because, you know, there's the added layer of being a young man and men struggling with talking about their mental health. Um, so he felt like he couldn't, and as a result, he died. So that's why mental health became really important to me. It's just to prevent suicide and prevent people feeling like they're alone.
0: Looking back and going, you're probably in psychology at the time. Yeah. When you went into psychology was that a result do you think of what you had been through was it something that led on you wanted to learn more about the mind
1: definitely um so as i said like i never really knew what i wanted to do in my life but <clears throat> so i was in fifth year when he died and then did my leaving cert and I, you know you're filling it the ceo and i didn't have a clue what i wanted to do but psychology i was kind of drawn to again for the mental health aspect to learn more about like what goes wrong when someone gets depressed or suicidal or has an anxiety disorder uh, I just wanted to learn about it because I felt like the more knowledge I had, the better able, I was able to like fortify my own mind and then, you know, further along the line, maybe help other people fortify their mind. So yeah, a hundred percent, like the reason I went into psychology is because um, of Herbie's passing. Absolutely.
0: And so you said the therapist piece um, at 20, mm-hmm. what was the, what was the piece that allowed you to go there to finally take the step? Maybe there was resistance for signing up for therapy and looking to to get benefit from it. What was it that allowed you to go there?
1: Yeah, there was huge, like, I mean, there was a lot of self-stigma self where I was like, uh, telling myself that there was nothing wrong, uh, that I shouldn't be feeling this way. So there was a lot of, um, denial of how I was feeling initially, but what actually ended up happening was, um, I was on a night out in Cork, uh, with my friends in rag week and I had a huge panic attack in the street. Uh, and that was my first panic attack that I've had, I've had a few since, but that was the first one. And, um, after that, then it kind of. I suppose that kind of burst the bubble because for a while i was like trying to convince myself that there was nothing wrong because i couldn't feel anything i wasn't feeling sad i wasn't feeling anger i wasn't feeling happiness but because i wasn't feeling sad or angry i was like there's nothing wrong but that's actually like one of the mo- the main symptoms of depression is that it's not an overwhelming sadness it's an overwhelming numbness but you can kind of cope with that because you know when you don't feel anything you don't feel bad Uh, but after the panic attack it kind of all you know there's a lot of reflection and I was like Jesus there's something seriously wrong because I was just doing all these things to distract myself from the fact that my mental health was in total disrepair so after the panic attack I talked to some of my um you know the people in my course and it was a good space to have friends in because they were all aware of mental health because they were in psychology so there was no stigma with them I was like I think I might need to go to therapy and they're like yeah we all go. You can sign up here in college.' Absolutely, like there was no it was just a very normal conversation um so but it took me getting to like a very low place with panic attacks and depression before I told, like admitted to myself that I needed help, and even admitting that and signing up gave me a, a huge sense of relief and weight off my shoulders because I was finally getting the help that I needed, and you can't really accept help until you accept it yourself that you need help. Because, you know, if you're in denial and someone tries to help you, you tend to like just shrug it off and be like, I don't need your help. There's nothing wrong. But then when you actually admit that you need help, that's when therapy and different techniques start to actually help.
2: How can you get to the point when you see that in someone, though? So you're obviously trying to prevent that. So how can we understand that actually there's there's a dialogue needed to be happening here? We need to open up communication. There's something i'm sensing or i'm seeing how can we recognize maybe in our friends or peers that we see some of those what some of the signs maybe that are they're struggling
1: yeah and it, it it's it's an interesting one because because it's the mind like everyone reacts to stuff differently so i think like there is a trope but it's a trope for a reason that a lot of people who are struggling don't outwardly show it so whenever you're around them they're like the happiest they kind of fill up the room they're the most kind of like putting on a mask but i think for me when i when i see it in people it's like when they start to kind of self-isolate naturally like they're not really coming out as much they're not really as responsive uh a big thing for me is i stopped taking joy in things that used to really bring me joy so i was like really, really into playing basketball. Like basketball was a huge part of my life and it just became a chore. Um, other signs might be that people are trying to be overproductive because like, again, for me, like I tried to like do as much college work, do as much uh, gym work as I could just so I didn't have to be on my own, on my own thoughts. So I think the main one is when people kind of start to retreat from things that they'd usually find very enjoyable and they're you know they're kind of aloof maybe you know just not texting back not being engaging that that's a huge sign but it can be very difficult like as i said with irby like he was obviously struggling but i had no idea so like it is it is one of these things that you kind of i I would i would rather misstep and think someone's going through something and be wrong rather than not address it so like With my friends these days even if i don't think anything's going wrong i'll be like how's your mental health how are you feeling are you going through any bad patches and often enough even that question allows people to open up because they realize someone actually gives a shit. so it's just and that's why normalizing the conversation around mental health is like the most effective way to figure out if people are struggling because if you can just bring up your own mental health it allows them to be like oh i can talk about my mental health with this person because they're talking about theirs so it's difficult as like you know lay people not psychiatrists or psychologists to identify when someone's struggling so I think it's if you cast a wide enough net and just make mental health a normal thing to talk about that generally draws it out of people and they can you know talk about it to you.
0: With writing a lot of the time we hear that the more you write the more you're able to convey clear sentences in your journal Mm -hmm. it often systemizes your thoughts in your head. Yeah. Have you found that it's helped you over the last few years the last 10 years right?
1: Yeah, like journaling has been a huge thing. Um, Lonely Boys started as a journal. So there was a lot of stuff with me, with uh, in particular with um, like romantic relationships. I, I was emotionally unavailable for a long time due to my depression and I couldn't make relationships work. So I started journaling in the during the start of the pandemic to try and figure that out. And as you write, you kind of, because it allows you to formulate your thoughts and it's very like a definite structure, you can kind of unlock different um i suppose realizations that you can't or it's more difficult to unlock if um if you're just thinking because your thoughts can be all over the place but if it's structured you're like i feel this way this happened then the relationship fell apart and then you're like why did it fall apart so it gives you a kind of uh, a structured space to really just be objective of what's going wrong what's going right and that allows you to i suppose get to a more clear realization whereas if you don't write I mean, obviously talking helps, like if if you're talking to a a therapist, that helps. But if you're on your own and you're trying to work through stuff, thinking alone, because there's so much biases and there's going to be a lot of stuff that you don't want to address or you don't want to admit, you'll tend to have blind spots for stuff you could work on. And I think writing allows you to see those blind spots easier.
2: With regards to some of the pieces that you've put out there over the last, you know, fire prevention day, just, you know, do you understand your impact and there's, so many there and again just the consistency of sticking with it is really a testament to you are are there any pieces that you know you you wrote down and you were kind of really I don't know proud about it or you would have evoked emotion or someone said I really got a lot from that or that really helped me what's that like that whole maybe response for you and for someone maybe reading a piece like we did
1: yeah it's interesting because I'm really bad at um predicting which uh, posts will do well, because yeah. often enough the ones that I'm like, ah, this isn't great, tends to resonate <laughs> the with way more people, yeah. There so is. it's really, and then, and then there'll be ones that I'm like, this is like, this is brilliant. And just no, like, they're well, not the better. ones. But there's one in particular um, I wrote, I think it was like two or three years ago, called, this is what anxiety feels like. And I basically tried to articulate in a very kind of um, digestible way, like what anxiety feels like when you're feeling it. And the response to that was just a lot of people being like, you've put into words what I've struggled to like put into words for my whole life. Because pe- like people find it difficult to like, because emotions are so like complex and convoluted, it's really difficult to like articulate what exactly they feel like. So with that post in particular, it, it felt really nice for me, one, to be able to, this is what anxiety feels like, and now I know, so whenever I feel like this, that means I'm getting anxious. And then it also helped other people to be like, that's how I feel. I'm anxious or I'm feeling anxiety and I never, sometimes like it comes up where I'll talk about something like anxiety and then like one of my friends will be like, Oh, I felt like that. I just thought that was like how you're like, just how you feel, like how I always feel. And I'm like, no, that's anxiety is what you're experiencing. Like, and I think that helps people. And it's, that's the most satisfying thing about the blog is when it resonates with people and people can take something away and you you know, you get a message or DM that someone's just like, this really helped me today and i needed to read this today and like again it's impossible to predict or maybe it's it, you can predict it but i'm terrible at predicting it um personally i have no idea which ones are going to hit
0: it's just something about i think with my own personal situation But when someone would talk to me i'd often advise exercise and trying to get good habits as one of the first things because mood follows action i generally say like you're getting a better mood from your your neurochemistry that's going on in your body with yourself your story you were going to the gym you were probably overdoing it you probably felt you were over focused on certain things like that. Mm-hmm. Have I missed a little bit there when I'm talking to people or what would you recommend for people who may be trying that avenue?
1: Um, I don't think like I don't think you can overdo it, but I think it it depends on um, the intention behind the action. So like for me, when I was depressed, the reason I was working out so often is because I was trying to run away from the emotion mm. and mask it with like the endorphins and serotonin you get from exercise. But if you use it as like a tool, like, so for example, if I'm like have low mood on a day, then I know I can go for a run and I know that will give me a little bit of a boost. Yeah. So that isn't me running away from the emotion. That's me addressing the emotion. Whereas in college, I was very much just like, there's a lot of dark stuff under the water that I don't want to address. So I'm just going to do everything I can to ignore it. And that's why I was being overproductive. So I don't think there's any, like, there's absolutely no misstep in uh, telling people to act uh so that their mind will will become a more like um, habitable place, but it just it, the intention behind the action, I think, is really important. Yeah, instead of distraction, think addressing. That's, that's yeah, like that.
2: not quite like what Draymond Green did. No, you uh, <laughs> see basketball. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> be sound and drink water. Yeah, love it. And you're drinking water as are <laughs> we and we yeah, understand be that. sound. Maybe the Americans don't understand what that means. <laughs> What's that about, Dar? What's be sound and drink water mean?
1: Um be sound I think okay, so a few years ago we had this kind of obnoxious um hashtag be kind and then what happened as a result of that is a lot of the be kind people on the internet were the most nasty people. Mm-hmm. um I, I find that like they could be the most you know trolling or most aggressive online. So I didn't really like that hashtag, but I think be sound it's quite like obviously be is quite an Irish phrase, but it's just like, for me, Be Sound is don't be doing things like for the sake of validation or recognition, or you're doing good things to get attention. It's Be yeah. sane because being sound is the right thing to do. Uh, and that's that's kind of informed by like a lot of Stoic philosophy, which I'd be hugely interested in. So Be Sound is like, for me, like I, I kind of changed, I got a tattoo of it, but I changed it to Be Good because it's more universal, but it's the same idea where like in any moment that you can be a good person just for the sake of being a good person, not for any like awards or achievements, just because it's the right thing to do, I think is really important. And then the drink water thing. So my second book of short stories is called, if you're reading this then drink water. And the reason I called it that is because from the ages of 12 to 21, I fainted seven times because of dehydration. Wow. So yeah um so like as i was growing up i just never really understood because it's something you know There's there's two things we have to do and that's hydrate because if you don't hydrate you're gonna die in three days and you have to sleep every day and because they're like things you have to do i didn't really appreciate the benefit or the impact that they have so i really like and i was like hugely into sport as a teenager so i was using up a lot of my like hydration during the day and then just not replenishing it so that resulted in like me getting faint and passing out so uh, the those two things be good and stay hydrated are like as much reminders to me as they are to other people because if I don't remind myself to drink water then I get dehydrated very easily so that's just a kind of like you know water is just a good thing to drink because I like there's some people that I know and it terrifies me that they don't drink water they just drink like juice or like fizzy drinks or like energy drinks and that's terrifying because mm-hmm. like it's just it, there's no substitute for water it's boring it doesn't taste great but it, it does have a huge impact on your physical and mental health. Like there's studies that I've looked into where they did they did a study and you're more likely to develop an anxiety disorder if you're dehydrated versus if you're hydrated and it's the same with depression. So it does have like an impact on how, you, how well your, your mind functions as well as your body. So as well as it just being like a little bit of a gimmick and something to remind me to stay hydrated, it does actually have genuine impact as well.
2: Marcus Aurelius was probably walking on with a B-sound tattoo in his arm I'd back. So.
1: back. <laughs> i so. I hope so. I hope so.
0: <laughs> I was actually going to bring up Stoic philosophy. You say author, writer, poet. Who's inspiring you? Who has inspired you across your career? Be that in poetry, be that in writing or in Stoic philosophy.
1: Yeah, I think like I remember I'd say it was like six years ago. was the first time I picked up Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Um... And it's such, it's, it's a bizarre book because it's so relatable to the modern world and it's written in a way that like, you don't, it's not like dense, like other philosophy, like if you read like Nietzsche or Albert Camus, it's very dense, very difficult to like figure out what they're saying. But Marcus Aurelius was just like, it was, he never intended for it to be published. It was just like a journal of like aphorisms he had to like guide himself. So he was like, don't do this. This is the right thing to do. Etc. And then obviously someone found it and published it. And I think it's just such a, an accessible book of philosophy compared to other philosophers. Um Seneca, moral letters, same kind of vibe um, a little bit, a little bit more convoluted than Marcus, but like same energy. And then if you want Stoic philosophy bro- broken down on like a daily basis and um, the Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday has been huge. I read that every day. And it's an evergreen book because they just give you one page per day for for the year and you can just keep coming back to it and then in terms of like like writing uh, inspiration there's a there's a wealth of irish writers that are, are incredible like i could list them for the day but i think my favorite writer is uh rob doyle uh, he's a writer from dublin i think he lives in berlin at the moment uh just because like when i read his book threshold and what resonated with me is that it was so raw and so honest and he was being honest about like the not so nice parts of himself as well like when he was being an asshole or when he was being you know maybe misogynistic or whatever it is but he was just being really honest and that really struck me that like there's no point in writing anything unless you're going to be very honest and I took I took a lot of that into Lonely Boy because the Lonely Boy is addressing like my own mental health but it's also addressing my role in my mental health becoming bad and for a lot of my early 20s you know especially in terms of relationships I was just kind of acting the dick and just not giving people the respect they deserve because my mental health was in a very bad place and i think that honesty really resonates with people and because it would have been easy to write lonely boy and not and just made myself look good but that isn't the true story mm. uh, and therefore to me it's just not worth writing if you're not going to be honest about it you know
2: we were looking at your website there and you've obviously had some opportunities to share your story and kind of the insights gleaned from that, you know, Irish Writers Centre, obviously, a little bit on the blogging there, Irish Migrants, Pfizer, yeah. companies, you know, of that calibre, and then obviously the com- the the places, I suppose, the charities that obviously are really trying to build awareness around, you know, Pieta mm. House and Samaritans and so forth. What What's what's the future look like for you? You've got your book coming out, there. you know, what's, what's going on in the next kind of three, four, five months for you?
1: Um, yeah, so the book comes out the end of next month and then like i suppose the the next few months depend on how the book no are-
2: plan i know sorry asterisks. no plan right <laughs> yeah yeah no, no plan but it,
1: uh it depends on how the book is received like i i work um with a lust for life the mental health charity anyway so i'll continue to work with them they're a brilliant space uh doing a lot for young people's mental health and then you know like speaking opportunities the last six months have kind of ramped up and I imagine it'll continue to ramp up after the book. So I think like in terms of making a living and like, you know, what I do as a career, it'll, it'll be a blend of mental health writing, uh, working with a lust for life, and then, you know, public speaking, where whether it's about writing specifically or mental health or a mix of both because they do kind of, from, from my writing career, are very much one and the same. So yeah, it's it's just kind of, as always, take every day as it comes and just do whatever feels right for me. Um, that's kind of the plan.
0: But we do things that aren't great sometimes um, and everybody probably isn't proud of every moment of their day. Even mm-hmm. watching sport the other day, there's a guy called Devontae Adams, plays for the Las Vegas Raiders, shoved mm-hmm. the cameraman after he lost, but then instantly went in and tweeted about how he regretted it straight away yeah. and that's not him. So it was, uh, he was trying to let, essentially, I think the message was that his actions weren't who he is. And he mm-hmm. just acted in a way. What do you do to overcome maybe a moment where you've not acted in the way you're proud of, and frame it in a way that's helpful for, helpful for you going forward?
1: Yeah, like uh, that that it's a very good example it, it, because he was obviously very self like you know react emotionally and then a lot of self awareness as soon as the emotion subsided. And I, I kind of touched on it already, but becoming self aware means you do have to know the good and bad parts about yourself because I think we tend to naturally like we all know like our good aspects and what we're good at but we tend to avoid thinking about the shitty parts of ourselves like so for me one of the things i'm not really good in the mornings i can be very irritable and if people come near me i'm just like cranky or whatever and for a long time i would have like not addressed that but now that i address it in the morning there's more effort to to, i suppose be more tolerant of people and be more understanding that like some people do want to talk in the morning and that's only one small aspect. But I think what's important is like, and I I think I have a blog on this as well. It's like, sometimes you're the villain because there's this, so like no villain in history or in movies has ever thought they're the bad guy. They always think they're coming from the right place, think they're a hero of the story. And I think we all do that. So whenever we get in conflict with other people, we always naturally are like, I'm right, they're wrong, they're in the wrong, like, I like my reasoning behind acting like this is just, but if someone else acted like this, I'd call them an asshole. Yeah. Uh, so I think we do kind of have a bias towards our own behavior and it's becoming aware of that and realizing like sometimes you lash out and you err in the wrong. And that is true for everyone. And I, like social media plays a bit of a role in this as well, because everyone only posts their like highlights and when they're feeling happy and when they're like doing good, but like real life isn't like that like real life is sometimes you're a shithead sometimes you're having a bad day sometimes you do a bad thing um and it's just being aware of that and trying to be aware of that in the moment so that when you are having maybe a negative reaction to something just being aware of like you can't take back words that you say Uh, you can't take back actions and it's just you know you can apologize in the aftermath but that that isn't as effective as not doing the bad thing in the first place. So it's, it is just becoming self-aware, I think is the, the best way to deal with it.
2: Where's your favorite place to write? That's my last question. You know, is, is the train a good place to write poetry, right? And uh, yeah. what do you think? Like, is it the, is it the coffee shop or, or where, or maybe is it somewhere quiet and secluded away in a retreat in Spain? You know what, where's your happy space for writing?
1: Uh, it, I think it depends on the, the medium. Like, so, Poetry for me is very in the moment, like you just have a kind of an emotional connection to something or you'll be reflecting on something. So the reason train poems was fun is because like I was traveling around Europe and I had these like six hour train journeys that I could reflect on stuff. And that's why, you know, writing poetry there made sense. But if I'm writing nonfiction, I need to kind of be on my own and have no input and just because it's very much like you're hammering out like autobiographical kind of what happened when it happened so that that is very much informed by like being on your own but then uh, I find with writing fiction um, the inspiration comes from just living your own life so whenever I've had like an idea for a story or a plot line it hasn't come when I'm just sitting staring at a blank page it's come when I'm having pints with my friends or out for coffee or out for a run never comes when you want it so it's having that kind of versatility of like if I'm out with my friend and I have an idea for like a short story, then I just need to have like either my notebook or my phone jot down the idea and then come back to it like on a Sunday morning when I have like a bit of time to myself and then start writing. So it always does come back to like being on your own to write stuff, but I think the inspiration comes from different places and like ideas for nonfiction rarely come from real life, but ideas for fiction nearly always come from just interacting with people.
0: Great stuff and I was going to go to the signature question last question to show but I thought since we're talking about mental health and we're Mm -hmm. talking about creating a space how is your mental health today?
1: It's good Um feeling because I I got here on Monday and like the last few days I've been reflecting on like this opportunity is a, a very big privilege in my life and I'm just feeling really grateful for it and there's been different opportunities in the last few weeks with speaking and the book so just like there's a lot of gratitude and there's a lot to be grateful in for in my life at the moment and i think trying to find gratitude really does help mental health so at the moment it's easy to have good mental health because there's a lot to be grateful for so at the moment it's pretty good yeah excellent
0: and then we'll go on to the big one what does high performance mean to you dara fleming
1: high performance um whenever i think of high performance i always do think about athletic ability um, my brother is a extremely high performing athlete. He runs, um, ultra marathons. So we just came fourth in the Carryway ultra, which is a 200 kilometer race. Um, so for me, like that, like that would be the most obvious example and definition of high performance. It's doing things that other people can't do. And it's usually down, usually down to just sheer willpower. Uh, everyone could possibly do it, but it's having the determination and dealing with a lot of pain and dealing with a lot of an internal voice to give up. Um, Dealing with that and still doing the thing is what high performance is to me, I think.
2: Very much as to what you're doing with your blog, right? I mean, you're dealing with pain and thinking and still putting it out there. Not as very much as for you probably as an exercise, but also for everyone else. So. Mm -hmm that's how we would define it in this one so
1: um <laughs> appreciate it thank you uh, for sure
2: dara thanks very much for your, for your time we are grateful and for for opening up and sharing your story and just keep doing it we're looking forward to
1: reading the book thanks for having me on guys um yeah. love the podcast you know i'm like, really grateful to be on and thanks for asking me
2: thank you for listening to today's episode of sleep eat perform repeat a story of high performance this was brought to you by Howora, a whole person well-being company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelled H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan